1 Peter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The church. In most every way, the church should be the safest place that a person could ever be a part of. Safe spiritually, safe emotionally, safe physically. But is it? Is the church the safest place that a person could ever be? Compared to the secular world and all of its trappings, yes, the church is far safer. And in most all matters, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, yes, the church can be said to be one of the safest involvements that a person could ever hope for. But again, is the church truly a safe place to rest our weary souls. While I can declare to you that the church is the very best place for each of us, we know from everything that takes place within them and from all that we've been reading in these previous chapters that safety is not a certainty for us. As we read the beginning word of this chapter, we know that God is speaking of this very matter of safety. The first verse begins with that word so. As I mentioned earlier, it's also translated as therefore. And as we look back over the past chapter to see what the therefore is referring to, we see that one of the primary focuses is the sufferings that we are called to endure, the fiery trials God calls them. Sufferings, not only coming from outside the church in, but also specifically sufferings coming from within the church. And even sufferings that would come from God Himself. Suffering. So then, no, being within the church, the body of Christ, is not always safe. But it is good. It is good. The very best place that we could ever hope to be in.
But as we observe and consider all of the matters of safety and troubles and sufferings that are spoken about here, we can see it taking place, yes, on a national level in so many of our larger churches, but where it is most felt by you and me is at this local level, within the individual church bodies like ours here at Holka Presbyterian Church. That's where we most feel the, the suffering. Why? It's because we're people, just people. We're a group of wretched sinners that have recognized our dilemma of needing a Savior and we have received the salvation that Christ has offered to us. And because of that, then we gather here each Sunday to praise and to worship the Lord Jesus for all that He's done for us. And we also gather together to bless one another, offering comfort and joy and fellowship to each other. And that is all very good. Very good. But with that being true, where and how does it sometimes, perhaps often, go wrong for us churches, for us bodies of believers? The answer is it begins with the understanding that the world, the flesh, and the devil, they do not stop at that doorway when we walk in here on Sunday. Now, in one way, that would be good and is good because the church is the only place that the world, the flesh, and the devil can be properly dealt with. The world could be redeemed and the flesh can be reborn and the devil can be defeated. So this would be a good place in that sense. But the problem is our preparation as church members to deal with those enemies and our defenses against their attacks against us never seem to be fully adequate. And so as we go about all the many activities and duties of the church, we do suffer. What are some of the most obvious pitfalls and weapons that are used to disrupt what should be a haven of safety and protection within the church? Looking at these words here in our text, we see that the first and most effective tool used to disrupt our haven of safety here and the joy that we should be having as we fellowship together is that of pride. Pride. The word pride is not used here. The word proud is used. But the word pride is not used here. But its counterpart is humility. And so we know because the Lord is speaking about humility, that pride then is the biggest stumbling block to our having this joyous time within our churches each Sunday with each other. I want us to focus on this pride for a few moments this morning. Now in truth, pride in any place or circumstance is a sure and certain destructive force to reckon with. No matter what the venue, whether you're in your workplace, in your marriage, in any relationship, pride is a destructive force. And it always is. But listen, when pride is allowed to catch root and grow and flourish within a church, the resulting effects can be especially devastating. Here through the words of the Apostle Peter, God is giving an especially strong warning to the people of this church that the letter is addressed to. And while 
there's not been much mention of this word pride being a particular issue through the earlier chapters of this book. These words tell us that this warning is much more than just a preventive measure. Here Peter begins by addressing the elders, the leaders of the church, because it's in leadership that such matters of pride and the world and the flesh and the devil will either gain their momentum or they can be held to a minimum. And Peter here exhorts, strongly exhorts, these elders to carry out their duties in a just and diligent manner because it's in the leadership of the elders that the church will have its first line of defense. Listen to these words, verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Notice the warnings that are given here. Now here the word elder doesn't necessarily imply an older aged man, though elders should be of a sufficient age to have experienced many things and have gained spiritual wisdom from their experiences. But above all, there is no room for pride. No room for pride within an elder's heart as he carries out the duties of his position. Now in our Presbyterian churches, the position of elder is regarded as being one of high spiritual calling, leading the church in all matters that are spiritual. And it would seem as we look at our small churches here in rural Mississippi, that pride should not be one of the biggest of issues. With such small congregations and minimal finances to deal with, but that's not part of the criteria. Pride can be a wretched enemy in any size church. It's been observed that sometimes our rural churches have been ruled over by select families with no other voices allowed within the decision making for generations. Pride. Pride. It is imperative that you and I be able to acknowledge that this pride does not stop at our door. The door of any church. And that neither does the chief proponent of pride. That's Satan himself. Now here we're warned about that in verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering is being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Folks, listen. Satan and his minions are very, very real. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? They really are very, very real. And they are ever and always at work doing what they do best. What is it that they do best? They steal, they kill, and they destroy. They do that well. They do it in many ways too, by the way. It can permeate a church overnight. Just simple rumors, accusations, anger, frustration, 
lack of forgiveness. And it goes on and on. Starts out small, and it starts to ferment and foment. And as I said a moment ago, within the devil's handiwork is always the underpinnings of pride. Why? It's because he is the king of pride. Scripture describes him as being the king and the prince of pride. I like the way that Oswald Chambers defines pride for us. He calls it my claim to my right to myself. And that's the way it manifests itself. My claim to my right to myself. That says it all. As each church member walks through the doorway of their church each Sunday, pride walks in with us. Pride walks in with us. And so also, by the way, do all the Satan and his demons. That's frightful, isn't it? It's a frightful thing when you think about it. We want to think that everyone within the pews are all loving and kind and trustworthy. And that Satan's demons were barred back there at the door. But they are not. They are not. That is, unless you and I do our part. And we can do our part to where they will not enter in. Listen to these words again. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. This is what you and I can do. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. That's what you and I can do. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Again, I want to say to you, and what he's saying here in these words, that the devil and his demons, they really are a matter of fact. They really do roam to and fro everywhere in the churches, outside the churches, everywhere, seeking whom they may devour. There again, isn't that a scary word, devour? That's graphic. He wants to devour you. He wants to devour me. I don't even like to think about being devoured. I would suggest that's so with most church members, and so you push that all aside. You read these words, but you don't believe them enough to believe that they're true and that they're taking place right at the moment that you are deciding not to think about it. God doesn't waste graphic words like this. He is saying to you and me, Satan and his demons want to devour you. Devour me. This is taking place. It's taking place not only out there in the neighborhoods. It's taking place right within churches. Satan and his demons somehow grabbing hold of men and women's minds and emotions and leading them to do things that they would not otherwise do. A close relative that I talked to you about one time, a beautiful young wife and mother, and a part of uh, a thriving church, and actually a part-time member of their staff, suddenly found herself being pursued and tempted and seduced by the pastor. That affair went on for quite a while before the devil then took his next step. And he will always take that next step. And that next step was to suddenly reveal it to everyone. Devouring that church. And almost devouring that family. But certainly devouring the membership of that church. Satan and his demons are so clever at what they do. You and I have to realize that. That they are really well-seasoned veterans at stealing and killing and destroying, seeking whom they may devour. Now that dear family somehow 
survived that episode. The church didn't. Not very well. But an odd thing took place. But a not so odd thing. They changed churches. And so the next church they go into, within weeks, they watched it dissolve. Because that pastor and one of the members were doing the same thing that had taken place back in their other church. Satan does roam to and fro seeking whom he may devour. What is the remedy for such matters as these attacks and these ravages of pride? We're told in James 4, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So therefore, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is God's perfect remedy. The problem is pride. The enemies are the world of flesh and the devil. Your and my own flesh, by the way, is part of this flesh. And the remedy begins with humility. Yes, Unfortunately, if we don't want God's remedy, He will let us go right on the head and destroy our families and other people with us. But if we will humble ourselves, God's grace will prevail. When we submit ourselves, as He's saying here, to God, and if we resist the devil, the devil and his demons will flee from us. They will not walk through that door. They'll not be a part of our family. When we draw near to God... He draws near to us and they flee. This is God's remedy and it's a perfect one. But how do we begin to do our part with this humility? We have to start by listening for and hearing the gentle call of Jesus. Listen to these words in Matthew 11. He says to you and me, Come to me. Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Did you notice there that Jesus only mentions humility? Those two words, gentle and humble, both of them mean humility. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Yes, now Jesus does want us to learn all about these Scriptures, but it must begin. It must begin with humility. And he says the same thing here in our text for today. Verse 5 again. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Humility must be the guiding force within the church. Any church. Any size. Young people. Old whatever the circumstances of the church. Humility is the only character quality that can carry a church through all of its many difficulties and turmoils. Let me give you one last thought before we close. And I know that we're running late. Verses 10 and 11. Listen to this. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. We don't like the thought of having to suffer and for suffering to be a part of our church membership. That's why so many church members at the first onset of suffering within the church, they quickly change churches. They don't want anything to do 
with the suffering that's taking place within the church. And that takes place every time they experience some within the next church. They move on to another. But listen, folks. Our churches were built for suffering. Our churches were built for suffering. Suffering is a needful involvement. It's not one that you and I should get up and run from. It's how we help our fellow believers to get through their difficulties of life and in turn for them to help us get through our difficulties. It's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. So I want to encourage each of us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I have family members right now that do not go to church because of the suffering that they did within churches. They bailed out. But God says, and I encourage you, do not forsake the assembling of yourself, ourselves together. But faithfully and humbly, we need to gather ourselves together each week to praise and worship the Lord. And if we will draw near to Him, He will draw near to us. That's His promise. And He will bless us beyond any measure we could ever imagine or hope for. These words as we close again. Verse 5. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Let's pray.